morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And at the time you hear this, we will be less than four weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft. Oh, God, it can't come any sooner, folks. But in that spirit, we continue with our seventh of eight position-by-position prospect previews with a look at the interior offensive line class. And to help us break down this underrated group of guards and centers, it is a pleasure to welcome back for the third time this month, Mr. Jacob Infante of Windy City Gridiron and the Draft Wire. Jacob, it's always a pleasure, man. How you doing? Hey, David. Doing great. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Always a good time hopping on the show. So I'm excited to mix things up a little bit and talk about some uh, interior offensive linemen because I definitely agree. Uh, it's a really underrated class. Uh, yes, uh, for all the hype the uh, tackle class is getting, and rightfully so, this uh, interior offensive line class isn't that far behind. Yeah, and I feel like both uh, interior offense and defensive line are kind of getting a bit, little bit uh, overlooked because obviously there aren't a ton of high-end day one first-round prospects, and I think people are mistaken that for it's a bad class, which if you if you identify based off of top prospects, then sure. Uh, but it's a pretty deep class, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a handful of quality contributors come out of this class. Oh, most definitely. And that's not just the headline for the interior offensive line class. It's this whole class in general. There's uh, not that much star power at the top, but uh, the depth of this class is absolutely unreal. Like after like the uh, top six prospects of this class, beginning around pick seven and lasting all the way through like pick 25 or so, you see a lot of uh, value um, uh, squenched together. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of those players are pretty close. I mean, obviously, I feel like the top three consensus receivers and some of the top quarterbacks being up there, uh, I think there's a pretty clear elite tier in this class. And then after then, there's a drop-off of quality players, to be sure. Uh, but a lot of guys were similar in value. So I feel like, yeah, definitely there's, uh, a handful of like really talented guys near the top. And then the first round in general, I don't feel like there's a huge step down from guys who are projected to go like mid to late round one from guys who are projected to go middle of say round two. Indeed. And let's uh, start off with this uh, interior offensive line class on the consensus top uh, interior prospect in this class. And that is Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. And we actually discussed Elijah Bear Tucker on our Offensive Tackle special, and our guest for that show, Nick Kendall of MileHighHuddle.com, said he doesn't see a place to tackle for Vera Tucker at the pro level. But when it comes to his prospects at guard, Dane Brugler believes Elijah Vera Tucker has Pro Bowl potential. Would it surprise you if Vera Tucker becomes the best guard in the NFL, not named Quentin Nelson, within the next two to four years? Uh, well, I don't know if necessarily I'd go to that extent, but I definitely agree that he has a Pro Bowl ceiling at guard. Uh, just looking at the uh, combination of raw power and athleticism that he brings, uh, he's you know very mobile in pass protection. I like that quite a bit, uh, whether he's at guard or tackle, and he holds his own at the point of attack, and a lot of that comes from uh, just his technique. He's a uh, fluid athlete who, you know, does a good job of, you know, sealing, you know, rolling his hips into contact rather uh, as a run blocker. And while I feel like his length could hold him back as a tackle, that it's not as big of an issue at guard. Uh, and I feel like for that alone, uh, his physical talent as well as his hand usage, uh, just his overall intelligence for the position, I think he has a very good chance of being 
I won't say one of the best, uh, but I, well, I will, I won't say the best rather, but I could say one of the best, uh, guards in the NFL if developed correctly. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I will give you the opportunity to respond to what Nick said. Uh, Nick said he thinks Elijah Vera Tucker should not go to tackle at all. Do you share that view or do you think a team can make it work for him at tackle? Yeah, I mean, I feel like depending on the situation, Barrett Tucker could play tackle. Uh, I feel like in the uh, circumstance of an injury, he he's played there and he played well this past year. So I feel like that shouldn't totally uh, disqualify him from being able to play the position. But I, I do agree that in an ideal situation, Barrett Tucker plays guard. Uh, just because, you know, he played really well there uh, – at USC, especially in 2019, and just a lack of true length. He's about 6'3", and his wingspan, if I recall correctly, doesn't necessarily match up to that 34-inch arm, uh, arm criteria that a lot of teams look for at the tackle position. So, yeah, I feel like Vera Tucker could play tackle, but that doesn't necessarily mean he should. I think that, in, like I said, in an ideal situation, you're looking at him at the guard at the next level. Yes, and arguably the biggest riser of draft boards since January has been the man with the coolest midriff in America, and that is Quinn Miners, the center out of Wisconsin Whitewater. And today, Daniel Jeremiah released his third top 50 list, and he had Miners at 44. And this draft journey, at least so far, gives me flashbacks to when another small school guard who, like uh, Quinn Miners, saw his stock begin to skyrocket after dominating at the Senior Bowl. And that small school guard I'm talking about is, of course, Ali Marpet, currently with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and arguably a top-five player at his respective position. Are you bullish on Quinn Miners? And if so, can you see him achieving similar success in the program as uh, Ali Marpet? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Uh, Quinn Miners... I started getting into him actually a little bit before he accepted his uh, senior bowl invitation. And needless to say, I was pretty surprised when uh, I found out basically no one was talking about him. I saw a little bit of chatter here and there on my Twitter timeline, which is what was decided, you know, uh, prompted me rather to go and watch him. But I was genuinely surprised that he wasn't really getting any looks at all. Uh, I think I had, uh, fourth round grade on him at the time I watched him heading into the senior bowl and then go, watching him play down in mobile. Uh, he was incredible. I feel like his technique uh, looked really good. He proved from a physical standpoint, athletically and uh, from a strength perspective that he's able to match up against some of the best in the country. So for that alone and answering questions about any potential rust that not having a 2020 season could have, uh, I feel like he did himself a ton of favor and Having that incredible performance uh, prompted a lot, my guess is that performance prompted a lot of people to go and watch his tape and then see, okay, this guy's really good, which I, I don't think necessarily that a lot of people are overreacting because of the senior bowl tape. I feel like he performed well at the senior bowl, so then they went and watched him and then determined, okay, yeah, this guy's really good. So, I don't know necessarily if I'd consider him a top 50 prospect in this class, but I do think he's really good. And I feel like he's got a high ceiling at the next level because of uh, just his power, the nastiness he brings. Uh, he's a coordinated athlete. I think he's really underrated in terms of athleticism. 
And he does a good job of getting his pads low and generating leverage uh, with the way he distributes his weight. So I don't know necessarily if he'll be on the lines of an Ali Marpet, but I feel like there is a high ceiling for him at the next level. If developed correctly, I can see him definitely being a long-term starter for years to come. Potentially a Pro Bowl caliber guy. I'm not 100% sure yet. I still feel like there are some uh, kinks for him to iron out in his game. But I feel like he has a high ceiling at the next level, and I'm really excited to see where he ends up. Uh, yes, and for the record, Lance Zierlein, the elite draft analyst for uh, NFL.com, uh, whose father, Larry, was a longtime offensive line coach in the NFL, uh, he compared Quinn Miners to Ryan Jensen. And Ryan Jensen is obviously the current center for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he was drafted in the sixth round in 2013 out of a small school, CSU Pueblo. Uh, can you see him uh, becoming as good a player as uh, Ryan Jensen? Yeah, I feel it's possible. And that's actually a pretty interesting comparison. Because uh, Quinn Miners did take reps at the center position a little bit at the Senior Bowl. I mean, he played primarily as a guard. Uh, but they had him lining up not only at left guard, which is you know where he played, but also at center a decent amount. And he seemed pretty comfortable there. I didn't really notice any issues with snaps or you know just his general comfortability at blocking from that position. So when comparing him to Ryan Jensen, we're looking at one of the top one of the top centers in the league. Uh, so that that is pretty high praise for him. And obviously, we've seen a lot of interior offensive linemen succeed. Uh, from smaller schools, you mentioned both of the Bucks guys, uh, Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen. Uh, also, Joel Batonio is a guy who comes to mind. Uh, he's coming from, I think I want to say it was Nevada. Yes, Nevada. Uh, Joel Batonio went to Nevada, yes. Yeah. So a handful of guys, you know, do, didn't necessarily play at a Power 5 level or, you know, in Quinn Miner's case, playing at a, a D3 level. So I, I can't necessarily say that he'll – for sure be one of the top interior offensive linemen in the league, but I think that there's a potential of that happen. Uh, and again, I feel like there's a bit of work that needs to be done in this game because I feel like he, he is a good athlete, but not necessarily an elite one, at least on tape. And I feel like his technique when he's down blocking and when he's blocking on the move can be a little bit more polished. Uh, but I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot to like in Quinn Miners. I get why people are so high on him. Uh, and absolutely, I feel like he's got starter potential, high-end starter potential at the next level. Yes, and moving on to another um, uh, hot prospect, at least when it comes to game film, and that is Landon Dickerson of Alabama. And while his game film is a rock solid, his medical history is very, very, very troublesome. He started out at Florida State in 2016, and he missed 25 of 38 games over three seasons down there. And after he transferred to Alabama in 2019, he started 24 straight games until tearing his ACL in the 2020 SEC Championship game. And since it is harder than ever for NFL clubs to obtain accurate medical information due to the pandemic, how far do you see Dickerson falling, and when at the earliest does his talent warrant consideration? Yeah, so it really sucks about Landon Dickerson, honestly, just because when I watch his tape, I see like, definitely a top 50 guy uh but just because i think that he's uh really polished and he's really intelligent and he's strong at the point of attack which i love when i'm watching him i think he's uh his ability to process what's going on ahead of him and his ability to pick up stunts and blitzes and stuff are really impressive and he's strong and he's big 
which I'm a really big fan of. But like you mentioned, those medicals are definitely concerning. He's he missed a lot of time at Florida State and then the torn ACL at Alabama. Uh, they say durability is the best ability. And I feel like Landon Dickerson likely should fall. I feel like that's something not a lot of people are taking into consideration with their uh, either their mock drafts or their grades where, yeah, on the field, Landon Dickerson's tape looks really good. He's going to fall because of injuries. Uh how far he falls, how far he falls, <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure, but at this rate, I do see him. I could see him falling into day, uh, late day two. I don't expect him to go uh, any later than the fourth round, simply because that tape is really good. And you know, betting on him to recover completely from that ACL tear, I feel like someone's going to do it. It's just a matter of who and when they're going to do it. From a pure talent perspective, I'm thinking he's a round two guy. Will he go that high? I don't know. My guess is probably probably the third round. The third round is when I expect Landon Dickerson to fall. Uh, and I think that any later than that is shows that NFL teams aren't too confident in his medical history. Uh, but on the field, though, he's an incredible talent. And I wouldn't be surprised if a team – bet on his upside in his tape and took him in round two. I don't know if that happens, though. Uh, yes, and uh, Landon Dickerson, I believe, has uh, experience at both center and guard. What do you think is his best position at the NFL? Yeah, so with Landon Dickerson, uh, I want to I say he's a left-handed guy. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know why, I, why that's what's coming to my mind, uh, but I think he's very capable of playing uh, center at the next level. And he has experience at right guard as well, but I feel like just generally his intelligence and his ability to communicate uh, along the line of scrimmage, I think would really uh, be suited well at the uh, center position. So that's where I'm projecting him right now. And that's where I think he'll play at the next level. Uh, But I can, I can see someone wanting to move him to guard. I feel like he's versatile enough where he could play either position. Uh, but, yeah, I think that center is where he can stick at the next level. I think he's more than, you know, big and strong enough to take on those nose tackles and one techniques. Uh, but I, I can see him wanting to be moved at guard if that's where a team truly likes him. Yes, and on to another prospect who in 2019 there was a lot of first-round buzz about, and that was uh, Creed Humphrey, the center from Oklahoma, and just for kicks, uh, his agent Ken Sarnoff was on this program just a couple weeks ago, so shout-out to Ken, and uh, to let you know we are rooting for Creed to succeed in the NFL. But despite all that buzz around him in the fall of 2019, Creed Humphrey decided to return to school for his senior year. And then we saw his draft stock fall during the season, yet it has come back up a bit in recent weeks as evidenced by him cracking the top 50 in Dane Brugler's latest rankings. Do you think Creed Humphrey made the wrong decision and potentially lose money by returning to school? I mean, I feel like he probably did lose a little bit of money. I'm not going to lie. We were looking at him arguably as a late first-round talent in 2020 and then returning back to 2020 uh, 2021 we're probably looking at that more as a second round pick so he probably did lose a little bit of money by coming back but ultimately uh there's only so much that we you know as fans and in the media and whatnot can judge about a player going back to school uh 
there's probably so many factors that go into that. But, yeah, from a pure draft stock perspective, I do feel like Creed Humphrey is being predominantly looked at as a day two pick right now, and I feel like that could be an absolute steal uh, just because of how powerful and polished he is. I feel like his his pads are always low. He's always got his weight underneath him, and he's a well-built guy who's, you know, pretty thick in both the upper and lower body, and he packs a mean punch at the point of attack. So that's something that I – I really like watching him. Uh, he's just really sound and knows what he's doing, and he rarely ever looks lost on the field. So I personally do have him as a fringe first-rounder. I have him more in an early second-round range. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes late round one, though. I feel like if teams are willing to overlook the, the left-handed center situation, which I, I don't think that'll be a huge issue. I mean, it depends on how the ball uh, rotates off the snap. I don't think that'll be a huge deal. I think he can still be a center at the next level. But from a pure blocking perspective, absolutely. I think he's a really, really good player. Oh, absolutely. And one of the fascinating things about not only this interior offensive line class, but this offensive line class in general is the amount of position versatility and varied projections when it comes to several prospects. We talked about Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Rashad Slater, who some have as the top tackle prospect of this class. Many see him as a better guard in the NFL. And three other prospects we discussed on the last show, Alex Leatherwood of Alabama, Tevin Jacobs of Oklahoma State, and Jalen Mayfield of Michigan are seen as better fits at guard by several. How do you like the chances of each of those guys to succeed at guard if need be? Yeah, so one guy in particular that I'd say I've been pretty on the fence about for playing at guard or tackle has been Rashawn Slater. I feel like uh, he came in at just about, you know, just over 6'4 at his pro day, which honestly is a bit taller than I was expecting. Uh, and his wingspan came in just enough uh, to reach that, uh, like I said, that 34-inch uh, threshold that, teams like in their tackles uh which i don't know the science behind it i just know that that's what teams like and that's how they use it so i've just been going off at that for you know determining whether uh a, t- a player can be a better fit at a tackle or a guard because there is a lot that goes into that position in terms of length uh, having those long arms allows you to lock out defenders at the point of attack and especially when you're in a, a less condensed area like a tackle position uh, then leverage is absolutely key. You can't just bully your way there uh, like you can on the interior sometimes. So you have to be able to lock guys out and, you know, match them in terms of your range uh, as a blocker. So I'm projecting Rashawn Slater now as a tackle. I had him as a guard. I just recently decided to bite the bullet and put him at tackle uh, because he did meet the physical requirements. And I did, you know, watching him in 2019 playing as left tackle, he was really good. So him in particular, I feel like can play tackle or guard really well either way. Uh, as far as a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker, I feel like he is a better fit at guard. Landon Dickerson, I like him better at center. Creed Humphrey, uh, I feel strictly at center. But again, I feel like he could move to guard if need be. I just feel like his... Uh, intelligence could be better suited at the center position. Uh, yes, but what about the prospects of Alex Leatherwood and Tevin Jacobs or Jalen Mayfield? A lot of uh, people see them as better guards in the NFL than tackles. What do you think of that? Yeah, so Tevin Jenkins, I have strictly as a tackle. I feel like he's long enough to be a tackle. He's physical enough to be a tackle, and he's got good enough athleticism. Uh, so that's where I have him there. I know that there are a little bit more length concerns about 
uh, Jalen Mayfield. So in that regard, yeah, sure, I could definitely see that. Uh, but ultimately, I do see him better as a tackle. And as far as Alex Leatherwood goes, I'm honestly kind of torn because I feel like he could succeed at either position. We've seen him play at Alabama. He's been a tackle the last two years and played at guard in 2018. And he's been really good just in general at uh, either position. So I'm, I, I'm still projecting him as a tackle. I wouldn't blame teams at all uh, if anyone has him as a guard, though, just because he did play really well there. And that's the position that he initially broke out under the scene and caught the eyes of scouts at. Oh, very interesting. But uh, the thing with uh, Tevin Jenkins is uh, there was a rumor uh, going around on Twitter that he might have sub 33-inch arms. And we're going to find out for sure when Oklahoma State has its pro day uh, this Thursday, April April 1st. So assuming that his uh, arm length is, let's say, 32 and 7 eighths, as the rumor had it, uh, do you think uh, he has to be considered a guard? Uh, I feel like if that is the case, I mean, at least on tape, he looks, you know, lengthy enough to me. If that is the case, then I could see him thriving at guard. I feel like he's uh, a pure bully at the point of attack. So he would, that playing style alone would probably thrive along the interior. So if, if that's the case, then absolutely. I feel like he would do a really good job there at guard. And again, like you said, we'll have to wait and see what happens at Oklahoma State's pro day. Uh, in terms of Tevin Jenkins' measurements, I thought he looked long enough to me. And again, there's only so much that we can do with the eye test until we get the exact measurement. So if that's the case, then yeah, I might be moving him over to guard. But either way, I think he's a quality starter at the next level. Indeed, and now it's time to play one of our favorite games on this program, and it's called Buy or Sell, and in this game, I will match the name of an interior offensive line prospect we have not discussed yet, and you tell us whether you buy or sell his long-term stock in the NFL, beginning with Wyatt Davis of Ohio State. Buy or sell Wyatt Davis. Yeah, so with Wyatt Davis, I think I'm going to have to buy. Uh, I don't feel like he has the highest ceiling at the next level in terms of his athletic ability. But he's strong, and I really like uh, how he uses his hands and how he locates his strikes at the point of attack. And I feel like he's pretty intelligent in terms of picking up blitzes and uh, when he's being used as a zone blocker, being able to to determine uh, when to go off of one guy and to pick up another in his zone. Uh, So, yeah, I'll have to buy on his prospects. I feel like he can be a quality starter for years to come. I don't know if he's going to go round one. I think the second round is a better fit for him, but I do think he'll be a quality starter. So I'm going to go buy for him. And this next dude is 364 pounds, but he ain't no slug. And that's Deontay Brown of Alabama. Do you buy or sell Deontay Brown? Yeah. So with Deontay Brown, I think he can be a good player uh, and he's pretty powerful. And obviously he's a massive dude in terms of just how wide his frame is. But I still think that there's something missing when I was watching him. So I'll have to go sell for now. Uh, I feel like I'm a little bit concerned about his weight. I mean, he came in at the senior bowl at 360. And while he mentioned that he was about uh, 345 now, if I'm not mistaken, I, I still have some concerns about his athletic ability. I don't know exactly how much of an asset he's going to be in pass protection at the next level. And I feel like he's generally limited to a power gap scheme. Uh, If you move him in as a zone guy, I don't know exactly how well he'll be able to perform there. So I'll go sell for him. I I can see him fitting well in the right scheme. 
I just don't know necessarily if he's going to be as seamless of a fit as, you know, some of the other top offensive linemen in this class. And Jackson Carmen of Clemson, do you buy or sell Jackson Carmen? He, I believe, protected Trevor Lawrence's blind side in recent years. Yeah, so with Jackson Carmen, that's another, you know, big-bodied guy who's wide and uh, just generally thickly built. Uh, and while I can see teams wanting to project him at guard, because I don't know exactly how good of an athlete he is, but in terms of where other people are projecting him right now, I'll go by. And again, I don't think he's a guy I'd take before, say, the third round. Uh, but I do think he can be a solid starter in the league. And if I'm not mistaken, neither uh, Mel Kuyper nor Todd McShay had Carmen on their big boards that they at least uh, sent out on ESPN. And I don't remember who was who. One of them was up to like 150. One was up to like 245 or something like that. But neither of them had Jackson Carmen on there. And I think that whether they just forgot or whether they have him just off, they don't like his tape, I – if it's the latter, then I disagree uh, because I feel like the power that he brings to the table and just the high motor that he blocks with, I feel like he can be a quality starter in the league. Again, I don't know necessarily how bit, how high his ceiling is and whether he'll move to tackle or guard, I'm not so sure. But I'll go by for him uh, just in terms of where his draft stock is at right now because I feel like coming into this year, he might have been a little bit overrated, but after this year, I feel like he's being severely underrated. Trey Smith of Tennessee, buy or sell? So with Trey Smith, I feel like it's another one of those, you know, big-bodied guys who still a bit of work in progress uh, from a technical perspective. I'll go sell on him for now. Uh, I mean, obviously, I feel like the blood clot issue uh, may hurt him a little bit. They're going to have to do some additional medical uh research on him for teams that are looking to draft him and see if, you know, if that's cleared up, that's not going to be an issue. I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, but I feel like from a pure on-field perspective, uh, obviously he's strong, he's powerful, but I have some concerns about his pad level and his ability to stay low uh, and to get good, just balance in general when he's, you know, blocking on the move or, you know, shuffling and, you know, coming out of his past that I don't know exactly. Uh, how efficient he'll be in that regard. So I don't think he'll be a bad player by any means. I do think that he's going to be, he, he very well can be a solid starter in the league, but overall I'm going to have to go sell on him. I think that he's being looked at in uh, too high of a light right now, I guess you could say. And that's not saying he's bad by any means. I just feel like he's not as good as some people think he is. Moving on to Ben Cleveland out of Georgia. Buy or sell Ben Cleveland. Ben Cleveland, I'm probably going to have to sell as well. I think it's a similar case to Trey Smith where, you know, big-bodied guy, I don't necessarily think he's super polished. And while he ran a really good 40 at his pro day, I don't know exactly if that translates to tape. Just in terms of his lateral mobility uh, and ability to change direction with good uh, body control, he ran, I think it was a sub-5 40-yard dash or something crazy like that, which – uh, it's generally impressive, but I feel like he's much more raw power and brute strength than he is uh, finesse and technical prowess. I have uh, 
a strong, like a round four, round five grade on him right now. Uh, so I don't necessarily buy into the hype of him as like a, you know, first two rounds type of guy. So I'll go sell. I feel like there's potential with him there, but it's just going to be a matter of, is he going to be able to contribute right away? I think he might require a red shirt year. Yes, it is all about the tape at the end of the day. And moving on to Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame. Buy or sell, Aaron Banks. So in terms of where Aaron Banks is getting projected right now, I'm going to have to go buy. Uh, and I feel like he is pretty similar to a uh, to a Trey Smith or a Ben Cleveland in that, you know, he's a bigger guy, he's powerful, he you know, blocks to the nasty edge. Not necessarily super polished yet but i feel like he's not necessarily being as highly touted as some of those other guys we've been talking about so for that i will have to go by i don't think that there's as much of a discrepancy between say aaron banks and a ben cleveland or a trey smith as a lot of people may realize so that's just my opinion i'm gonna have to go by on him uh taking him say early day three probably not much more than all right, we'll have this guy sit for a year and then eventually have him, you know, compete for a starting spot down the line. That's the type of role I see him fitting in. And for that, I'd say bye if that's the, the strategy that a team has when they're picking him. Moving on to the centers, Josh Myers of Ohio State. Buy or sell, Josh Myers. So Josh Myers, I'll have to go buy. Uh, I feel like he's, again, another one of those well-built uh interior offensive lineman who you know maybe his pad level isn't all that great and his athleticism isn't elite but I feel like he's intelligent uh he plays with a high motor uh and he's you know frequent communicator along the offensive line and is you know quick to pick up blitzes and uh, is a sound uh blocker in zone so I'm gonna have to go with buy for him I feel like he can be a solid you know probably late second early third round type of guy who can probably step in from day one right away uh so I'm going by for him Kendrick Green out of the University of Illinois. Do you buy or sell Kendrick Green? I'm I'm going to go with the buy for Kendrick Green. I really like the athleticism that he brings to the table in terms of his ability to down block and his acceleration when climbing to the second level. I feel like he's pretty polished as an athlete and does a good job of rolling his hips into contact and sealing off defenders in the ground game. Uh, maybe not the biggest guy and I feel like he can still add a little bit more strength to his frame but I'm a sucker for athletic interior offensive linemen I think that Kendrick Green can be a solid starter in the league so I'm gonna have to go buy for him and last but not least we conclude buy or sell with Michael Minette of Penn State a Big Ten threesome at the pivot buy or sell uh with him I'm probably gonna go with sell uh, I feel like it's another one of those guys who, yeah, he's, you know, a more powerful guy and he blocks the high motor. I'm not too sold on his athleticism. I feel like he's a little bit stiff in his lower half. Uh, and I feel like he can be a little bit late to pick up on blitzes, uh, which, you know, playing the center position, I feel like his intelligence is a pretty big thing. And I don't know necessarily in terms of just football IQ uh, where he is, and granted, I probably haven't watched as much of him as I'd like to at this point, but I'm going to go sell on him. I think he's probably a, a late day three guy. Uh, at least that's just my evaluation on him, but I'm going to go sell on him. I think that he's probably just more of a rotational guy at the next level who can maybe crack into a starting lineup over time, but I, it might take a little bit for him to get there. 
is Jacob Advante, ladies and gentlemen, NFL draft analyst for Windy City Gridiron and the Draft Wire. Follow him on Twitter at JacobInfante24. And Jacob, obviously, before we let you go, uh, we got to discuss the best possible team fits and landing spots for these prospects we talked about tonight, beginning with Elijah Vera Tucker. A lot of people have said the Vikings are an excellent fit for him. Any other teams that come to mind aside from the Vikings? Yeah, so the Vikings actually is the one that I was going to say for Vera Tucker. So uh, I think that that would be a really good fit for him uh, just in terms of using his athleticism and taking advantage of his ability in zone. Uh, If I had to go with a team outside of that, I do like the Chargers for him. I feel like the Chargers are in a situation where they need as much offensive line help as they can get. Uh, They did just add Corey Lindsley, which I'm a really big fan of, Uh, but they do need a little bit more uh, help and a little bit more enhancement along that offensive line. Getting a guy like Elijah Barrett Tucker, who's you know powerful and athletic, I think the key to this draft is trying to bring out the best in Justin Herbert. You can't do that as well without a good offensive line. So I think that the Chargers will be a really good spot for him, depending on who's available. If not, then I do. I expect the Vikings to take Barrett Tucker, but that's just me. The best possible team fit for Landon Dickerson. Yeah, so for him, I know this sounds kind of like cheating, but I might have to go the Miami Dolphins here just because of obviously that uh, Tua connection. And, they I mean, they did bring in Matt Skura this offseason, but if they can get Landon Dickerson in as, you know, a solid value pick, I feel like that might be something worth considering. Uh simply because of one, the familiarity that uh, Tua has with Landon Dickerson, if I'm not mistaken, they did have that overlap in 2019. Uh, And then Matt Skura is only in Miami on a one-year deal. So that's not indicating that they view him as a long-term option there. So obviously bringing him in might not make center as big of a priority, but uh, bringing Dickerson in, I feel like he can be an upgrade at center. Uh, and just it's, the name of the game is trying to protect your young quarterback and giving Tua a fair shot at, you know, being able to prove himself as a potential franchise quarterback for Miami. I feel like you got to do just about everything you can to surround him with quality talent. So I'll go Miami for that one. Yeah, let's backtrack just a little bit. Uh, kind of like uh, that Landon Dickerson uh, Dolphin scenario with uh, Matt Skura. You mentioned the Chargers for Elijah Bear Tucker. At the Chargers, not only did they sign Corey Lindsley, they also signed uh, guard Matt Filer to, I believe, a three-year deal and brought Ode Abushi in on a one-year deal. So they kind of fortified their interior offensive line. But that said, um, one of those guys is just in on a one-year contract. So Elijah Bear Tucker might make some sense for the Chargers if they think he's their best player on the board. Yeah, and uh, Abushi is a little bit later of uh, free agent selection, and I don't know necessarily uh, what their plan is for him in terms of long-term building. I feel like, for at least my understanding of him, he's a solid player, but not necessarily a long-term fit in a starting lineup. So if they really like Vera Tucker, I can see them doing that. Obviously, I feel like offensive tackle is a bigger need uh, for the Chargers than guard is, but if they really like the value and regardless, they can plug Vera Tucker in at tackle if they want uh, or have him compete with Abushi for a guard. So either way, I feel like that would be a good fit for him. What's the best possible team fit for Mr. Midriff, Quinn Miners? 
Yeah, so for Quinn Miners, uh, it's a little bit of an interesting fit, depending on whether you see him as a guard or center. Uh, one team that I think could be interested in him is uh, the Tennessee Titans, because I feel like their offense, I mean, obviously they don't have Arthur Smith leading the charge anymore, but I don't know necessarily how far they're going to depart from their you know, power-run-heavy uh, philosophy, considering they still have Derrick Henry in there and a lot of the same pieces that they bring. Uh, I feel like Quinn Miners could be a fit in Tennessee. Whether they put him at guard or center, I'm not so sure. I know they do have Roger Saffold in there at the guard position, and they've got you know some talent there along the offensive line, but I do feel like an upgrade uh, could be helpful for them. So Quinn Miners, I feel like, taking oppor- you know, take advantage of his nasty edge and just his you know, ability to pummel people in the run game, I feel like that would be a really good fit for him uh, if the Titans are looking for an interior upgrade on day two. Best possible team fit for Creed Humphrey. Yeah, so I kind of, I'm kind of gonna cheat here. Uh, I'll give another one. I do think the Dolphins could be an interesting fit for him. One, because they do, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, the center need that they have, and could look for a long-term guy there. But also, the fact that Creed Humphrey is a left-handed guy, and Tua Tagovailoa is a left-handed center. Uh, Obviously, when you have a left-handed quarterback, you have a lot of adjustments that you need to make uh, in terms of your playbook, in terms of route running. Uh, so it can provide for some sort of uh, challenges for offensive play callers. But having a left-handed center, I mean, obviously, I don't know exactly the mechanics behind that. But I do think that bringing in a guy who's as talented as Creed Humphrey is in terms of his power and uh, just what he brings from a technical perspective, I think that would be another great guy the Dolphins could consider, especially uh, in round two, because they have the Texans' second-round pick. at I think it's 36, if I'm not mistaken. So that would be a really good value pick uh, for the Dolphins if they don't want to go offensive line with either of their first two picks. Best possible team fit for Wyatt Davis. Uh, so Wyatt Davis, I could bring up uh, – the Vikings again, if they do want to wait until uh, maybe the second round to go with an interior offensive lineman. Uh, but for the sake of that, I'm just going to assume that, you know, sticking with Vera Tucker, uh, one team that I think could uh, look into Wyatt Davis is maybe the Detroit Lions. I mean, they do have two young guys at guard. They have Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg. But when you have the opportunity to bring in a Wyatt Davis, a true mauler in, you know, the run game and a solid enough pass protector, I feel like that's something that Dan Campbell could really like, uh, especially given the culture that they're trying to build there in Detroit, you know, the kind of rough and tumble, uh, bite at your kneecap sort of thing. I think that Wyatt Davis definitely fits that mold. Uh, And if they do want to stick with, you know, Jackson or Stenberg, then the Lions definitely could do that. But I feel like Wyatt Davis would be an upgrade over, you know, arguably either of them. If I'm not mistaken, Jonah Jackson had a solid year. I don't know too much about how Stenberg did in 2020. But just off my college evaluations of him, I do think Wyatt Davis would be an upgrade at guard. So it wouldn't shock me at all if Detroit tried to upgrade the trenches and just generally try to, you know, add to that nastiness that they're trying to build over there. Moving right along here, the best possible team fit for Deontay Brown. Uh, So looking at Deontay Brown, obviously there are a handful of teams that I think could fit there. 
uh, I'm not so sure how good the uh, the scheme fit would be, but just from a personnel perspective, I think the Bengals could look at Deontay Brown just because they added Riley Reef at tackle, but their guard position isn't necessarily ideal. They did bring in Quentin Spain, if I'm not mistaken, sometime in the midseason, uh, and he you know played a bit there and was solid, but you know he's a little bit older. Michael Jordan, uh, don't know a ton about him. I'll admit, uh, but from what I understand, he's good but not great. So if the Bengals have the opportunity to upgrade along the interior offensive line, they absolutely should. They have two solid tackles in Jonah Williams and Riley Reef, uh, and whether they want to kick Jonah Williams in at guard and go Penny Sewell at five, or whether they want to wait a little bit and take a guard there, uh, I'm not so sure. But I feel like Deontay Brown could bring, you know, a real mean presence along that interior offensive line. And if they go for that, uh, I think that could do a really good job of helping keep Joe Burrow upright. Yep, it's all about the offensive line for the Bengals. And for the record, that Michael Jordan that Jacob mentioned was selected by the Bengals in, I believe, the 2019 draft out of Ohio State. And he is a football guard out of Ohio State and obviously no relation to the GOAT himself, dare I say. (laughs) And now, uh, moving along to Jackson Carmen, best team fit for Jackson Carmen. Yeah, so with Jackson Carmen, I'm looking for a team that might not need a tackle as much right away, but could look for one down the line. And to me, one of those teams is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, looking in the third round, at least that's where I have Jackson Carmen going. That's my general evaluation of him. I feel like that could be a solid spot for him. Uh, they re-signed David Bakhtiari. Uh, they have Billy Turner, who is actually pretty good. I don't know necessarily if they're planning on keeping him around long-term, however. And the interior offensive line for Green Bay isn't all that good, especially after losing Corey Lindsley. I feel like that's a huge blow uh, to their offensive line. So they have Elton Jenkins, who's a stud, but their two guard positions have a handful of uh, concerns. So whether the Packers want to go about putting Jackson Carmen at guard right away and then potentially moving him out to tackle uh, in due time or whether they just want to have him as a developmental offensive tackle. Uh, I feel like either one of those spots could be a good fit for Carmen at the next level. And I feel like bringing in a guy like him who's experienced, he's strong, and he has a really good resume, uh, I feel like that could be uh, definitely of interest for Green Bay as they try and maximize uh, this title window they have with Aaron Rodgers. Trey Smith, best team fit. Uh, so Trey Smith. I feel like he's a he's a guy that I could see landing somewhere like Seattle. And just judging, they did add uh, Gabe Jackson. Yes, but they did. I'm not necessarily sold on the long term sustainability of their offensive line. Uh, just considering Dwayne Brown's getting older, Gabe Jackson is good, but he's getting older. Uh, the rest of the offensive line doesn't necessarily impress me yet. Uh, so if they had the chance to go after Trey Smith, who can play guard, can play tackle, you know, have a little bit of uh, plug-and-play ability, just wherever they see fit and they need help along the offensive line, I'm sure he could play there. Uh, so I feel like with Seattle, where they're at right now, Russell Wilson, you know, upset about his situation, upset about the offensive line play. If the Seahawks want to keep him around long-term and they want to keep him happy, which they should, then investing heavily in the offensive line in the uh, 
upcoming draft would be a really smart idea. So I'll go Seattle for Trey Smith. What about Ben Cleveland? So Ben Cleveland, uh, I feel like, I mean, I don't necessarily project Ben Cleveland as a day one starter. That's just me. So I feel like a team like the Dallas Cowboys could be an interesting fit for him. Uh, because they have a solid offensive line in place, but we saw this past year how a lack of depth is apparent in that uh, offensive line room. When that group is healthy, they're a really good group. Uh, but, again, the key is when they're healthy, and they definitely weren't this past year, and a lot of things tended to fall apart. So I do like Ben Cleveland fitting in there. I feel like he gives them uh, – a real powerful blocker. I could potentially see him sliding in at center, uh, depending on how accurate he is as a snapper. Uh, but I think that just interior offensive line depth in general, uh, and having just an insurance option, I feel like the Cowboys are in a bit of a situation where they can't afford to do that in say rounds three or four, maybe, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Dallas for Ben Cleveland. And obviously that's not the best spot for him if he wants to start right away. But in terms of just overall, you know, teams that could use them, I feel like Dallas could be one of them. And last but not least for the uh, guards uh, in uh, Best Team Fits, Aaron Banks. So with Aaron Banks, uh, let's see. I feel like there are a handful of different ways you can go here. Uh, I'm going to go with the 49ers. uh, Simply because I feel like Aaron Banks is the type of guy you can get uh, early on day three, and considering their trade up to three, that they're you know assuming they're going to take a quarterback there, might as well invest a little bit in that interior offensive line. And I'm not so sure that uh, what San Francisco has along the interior, at least, is something that I could you know be comfortable with for long term success. Obviously, I'm you know I, Trent Williams is a monster, and Mike McGlinchey uh, maybe hasn't lived up to his top ten doing, but he's still you know a solid enough player. Uh, but it's that interior offensive line I'm not so sold on, especially uh, the guard positions. Uh, so getting a guy like Aaron Banks, who can probably fit in definitely right away and contribute, which would be huge for the 49ers, considering their lack of draft capital going forward now that they've traded up for the third overall pick. Getting a guy along the offensive line who they could probably get for you know cheap draft capital price. Uh, I think that could be huge for them in trying to protect whoever is going to be the quarterback for them going forward. And moving on to the centers, starting with Josh Myers. What is the best team fit for Josh Myers? So for Josh Myers, there are a lot of different ways you can go here. Uh, I'm going to go with a team that recently lost their center, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, obviously, they have a you know pretty sizable uh, hole now it, along their offensive line now that uh, Marquise Pouncey isn't there anymore. So that in mind, I do expect him to attack the center position in the draft. I feel like Josh Myers realistically could be there for them in the second round. Uh, and I feel like just the general power and intelligence that he brings to the table could give them, uh, obviously filling uh, Pouncey's shoes, it, that's a pretty big uh, void to fill. But I feel like he could do a solid enough job at it that he could be, you know, a pretty competent player uh, in terms of producing and stepping in right away and playing a big part along that along that offensive line. 
Yeah, would be another uh, much-needed investment in the Ohio State pool by the Steelers. And what about Kendrick Green? So Kendrick Green, uh, I'm not 100% sure where teams are going to view him in terms of his draft stock right now. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of the guy. I don't know exactly if everyone else is as high on him as I am. Uh, I could see a team looking at him in terms of like a depth guy, uh, at least in the draft. So you're looking for teams who have that luxury, who can be able to afford to get, you know, a quality guy uh, they can potentially build and develop into a starter in due time. Maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I do feel like they, you know, they have a very good interior offensive line, not a ton of depth really right now. Uh, if they do feel like that's a possibility, uh, then I feel like that would be a really good value there. Uh, another team I could see uh, going after him is, again, the Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like getting as many names in the interior offensive line as possible. I feel like that could be huge for them. Uh, and I'm a big fan of just the athleticism that Kendrick Green brings to the table in terms of body control and just overall balance. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go. It, the Buccaneers could be a good, you know, fit. Uh, I'll, I'll double dip, though, and say the Bengals just because I feel like that would be a better fit for him in terms of uh, putting together production right away. And last but not least, the best possible team fit for Michael Manette. So, for Manette, uh, I'm probably looking for a team around that day three range. Uh, who could? I don't know necessarily if he would start right away, uh, but just a guy to have in that locker room. Uh, again, maybe the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, if they want to add some depth, potentially uh, the Baltimore Ravens. They've gotten a bit, a little bit along the interior offensive line in recent years. Uh, uh, and they did bring in Kevin Zeitler, which I think is a huge move for them, but that center position is still a little bit rocky. Uh, if they do want to go in that direction, I feel like Manette could be an interesting fit for them. Uh, and just from a pure – uh, scheme perspective, I feel like Manette would be a pretty good fit because of his just his power and his prowess uh, in the run game. Thank you very much, Jacob. And that's it for today here on Sports Cross, but we'll be back very soon with lots more draft coverage right up until your team is on the clock, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jacob. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 and you can follow Jacob on Twitter at jacobinfante24 and catch his work at Windy City Gridiron and The Draft Wire. For Jacob Infante, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, please wear a mask over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, and when it's your turn, please get whatever COVID-19 vaccine is available to you. Thank you very much, everybody. (laughs) 